Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. All right, well, we are in part eight. I can't believe it's already been eight weeks, and we're in chapter three of Philippians, the book of Philippians, a great book where where Paul is talking to the church of Philippi not to resolve a lot of issues, not to resolve a lot of problems, but simply to encourage the people. How many of you would agree there are times in life that we need some encouragement? There's opposition, there's strife, there's struggle, there's difficulty, there's problems that we encounter in life. Anybody ever have any of those? Like two people over here, one person in the back. Every once in a while, we have those problems, and we just need somebody to speak into our life and say, you know what, here's what you need to do. You need to choose joy. And Paul says, no matter what, no matter what that looks like, no matter what you come up against, no matter how difficult the problem may be, no matter how difficult the struggle is that you're facing, you have a choice. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, you have a choice. Look at your other neighbor and say, choose joy. No matter What? That's what Paul is talking about in this great book to the church of Philippi. We've titled this series, Nothing Else But No Matter What. No matter what we encounter in life, choose a life of joy in Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about a lot of topics throughout this series up to this point, but today I want to move into a a idea, a thought um, that many of us experience. In fact, it's a, a topic that many of us encounter in life. I want to look at what does it mean and how do we go about achieving success? Anybody in the room want to be a failure in life? I think I heard one person say, I do. Somebody, that was Colton. Colton, you already had your moment this morning. Tara, please silence your son. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, not a single person. I have never had anybody that I've walked up to in life. There's not been a single person that I have ever had a conversation with. And we were talking. I'm like, hey, man, what do you want to do for a living? They're like, you know, I just want to be a failure. It's all I want to do. Just fail at life. I want to fail at it. No, we all want to succeed. Now, different levels of success. Some of you are really high-strung individuals, and you want to achieve at everything. You are competitive to the core. You and your spouse can't even play checkers against one another because it gets really crazy. Right? Anybody in the house competitive? A couple of you this morning. Several years ago, the cover of U.S. News and World Report had this to say. Success. Who has it? How do you get it, and what price do you pay? Let me say that again. Success, who has it, how do you get it, and what price do you pay? Everybody is interested in success. To some degree or another, we all want to succeed in life. But what is 
success? How do I know that I've achieved? How do I know that I've arrived? How do I know that I've really grabbed a hold of that and gone, man, I'm successful now? Well, Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but look what he says. But I press on to possess. What does it mean to possess something? You take ownership of it. You grab a hold of it. You spend time with it. I take possession of that. I receive it in that moment. Paul says, I press on. In other words, I am, I am determined to no matter what. Come on, somebody. No matter what I come up against, Paul says, I don't want you to think for even a moment that I've achieved success. I'm not here to tell you that I've arrived in this moment. And by the way, if anybody could say I've arrived, look at Paul. I mean, he wrote the majority of our New Testament. Dude arrived in my mind. But Paul's saying, no, 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 I haven't quite achieved that yet, but here's what I'm doing. I'm pressing on. Every day is a new opportunity. Every day, I get to choose. Every day, you get to choose. Will I be successful in my walk with Jesus Christ? You see, I can't choose for you. You can't choose for your wife. You can't choose for your kids. You gotta choose for yourself. What am I going to do? Am I going to take possession of this? Now, look what he says. He goes on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Come on, look at that. Jesus Christ first chose you. He first said, you know what? You are mine. You are the first draft pick. Oh, now that should have made some of you excited this morning. Because some of you feel like you've never been a first draft pick ever. I mean, P.E., elementary school, you were the last one that they went, oh, I'll take them. Right? Anybody else in the house like that? That, that was me. I, I'm the most non-athletic person ever. I played church league, uh, so I almost said football. That would have been really fun. <laughs> church league softball, and they put me in right center. You know why they put me there? The ball never comes there. Okay, so I'm in right center, and some smart aleck decided to hit the ball my direction. The ball's coming out, and I'm like, what do I do now? So I put my glove in the air to catch the ball. By the way, this was the last time I ever played church league softball. The last day, the last moment, the last game, the last second. Because that ball was coming toward me and it hit the tip of my glove and didn't stop there. It decided to make an impression upon my forehead. At that moment, I hit the ground and I was like, that hurt. I got back up and realized, whoa, and I hit the ground again. I am not athletic. So this idea of being first draft pick blows my mind. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus chose you first. 
while you were still in your mama's belly, while you were still in the formative stages of life, Jesus Christ said, you know what? I love you. I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for your life. I've got some things for you to accomplish. I pick you. Paul, look at this. I press on, Paul says, to possess, to take ownership of, to wrap myself around, to write my name on that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I choose, I choose to press into this because God chose me for a greater purpose. God placed me on his team. He chose me first draft. You've been chosen. You've got a purpose. The question is, what are you going to do? Did you know that, that God in the Word has a lot to say about success? However, God's definition, here's the interesting thing. God's definition of success is a lot different than what we've been told our entire lives. So before I get into this message of success, I want to give you a couple of ideas of what success is not. You see, that's kind of how I learn. I want to know what something is, but really tell me what it's not so I know what I'm dealing with here. Does that help anybody else? Look at this. Success is not measured by how I look. That's a lot different than what we've heard. Typically, we see this guy on the front of some magazine, and he's like all GQ'd out, and we're like, man, that guy is successful. I mean, look at that suit. Look what he's wearing. Man, he is, man, the hair is all wild, right? Maybe that's just me. But success is not measured by how, our, how I look. Our culture, our society is so consumed with this idea of image. The important thing is, is do I look successful? For many people, quite honestly, they don't really care if they're successful. They just want to look successful. Have you noticed that before? It doesn't really matter what's going on behind the scenes. It doesn't really matter what's going on when no one's looking. That doesn't really matter. What matters is, do you put on the show, do you put on the persona of a successful person that you've arrived in that moment? Just drive the right car. Just wear the right clothes. Even if it's a knockoff, if it looks like the real thing, it's going to be all right. Have all the right accessories. Look successful. Who cares what life is really all about? But here's what I've discovered. We, we buy things we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that, quite honestly, we don't even like. Right? Boy, you're really quiet this morning. Is this hitting home? Because this is what we do. We try to keep up with those around us. Well, they got a new car, so I got to get a new car. They've got this, so I've got to have that. We buy things we 
don't need, with money that we don't have, just to impress people that we don't like. I ask you this morning, what's really important? Because the Bible tells me that, that God's more concerned about what's happening here than what's happening here. What's happening in your heart this morning? If we were to pull back all of the layers of life, if we would pull back all the things that you're trying to do to impress those that you work with or those in your little circle of influence, if we pull back all of those layers of falsehood, what do we find at the very core of who we are? That's what God's concerned about. First Samuel says this, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the hearts. What does your heart reveal about you this morning? Success is not measured by how I look. Number two, success is not measured by what I have. It's not measured by what I have. A lot of us are confused. We believe that, that wealth, the, the, assumption, the consumption of more and more items and material items and money, the more that I can grab a hold of, the more that I have, the more successful I really am. But did you know that, that you can be extremely wealthy and yet be a failure in life? It's true. There are a lot of people who are making more and more and more money every single year. Yet they're enjoying life less and less and less. The two just don't add up. Mark chapter 6, verse 36 says this, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit, one translation says, lose his soul? What good is it if we gather together all of these items, if we look the part, if we dress the part, if we speak the part, if we drive the right items, we have the right house, we gather together all this stuff, our bank account is overflowing. What good is it if we have all of these things, yet in the meantime, we're forfeiting our very soul? Man, I love that word forfeit. Lose is one thing, but forfeit means, man, I just, I just didn't show up. I just didn't, I didn't put myself in the game. What good is it? We gain the whole world, yet we forfeit our very soul. Success is not measured by how I look. Success is not measured by what I have. And number three, success is not measured by who I know. Have you ever met somebody that, that loved to name drop? I mean, you're in the midst of the conversation. Maybe it's even the first time that you've met them, and in the course of five minutes, they have name dropped all of these quote-unquote important people, and they're trying to promote themselves in that moment because somehow along the way, they cross paths with that person, so they must be BFFs. Anybody ever experience 
that kind of situation. Absolutely, we experience it all the time. But success is not measured by who I know. Some people will tell you that the only way that you can get ahead in life is by knowing the right people. Well, let me be honest with you. Part of that is true. There is a degree of of networking because, quite honestly, the Bible says that we weren't created to be alone. So we need one another. We need to spend time investing in one another. We need to to help build one another up. So this idea of networking is, is tremendous. It helps you to possibly get the job that maybe you wouldn't have gotten before or maybe you receive help from that individual because you're walking side by side with them. But there's a huge difference between networking and allowing God to use someone else to help you or you to help them, than you using someone's name simply to manipulate the situation, or you use someone's name to enhance yourself above everyone else. Success is not measured by who I know. Here's what I've discovered. Success is determined by what I am. Let that sink in for a moment. Success is determined by what I am. Do you know what I am? I'm a child of the Most High God. I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious in the name of Jesus. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm on my way to a brand new home. I'm just passing through. You see, success is determined not by how I look. It's not by what I have. It's not by who I know. It's by what I am. And I am a child of God. And God says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Will we choose to walk in that victory? Success is determined by who I am. It's my character. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 12. He uses the word perfection and the word striving to win. He's simply meaning, I want to be successful at the very core of who I am. I want to be successful in my character. By the way, character is is who you are when no one else is watching. When the blinds are pulled, when everyone else is gone, when you're all by yourself, your character is is who are you right then? That's pulling back the layers and peering at the innermost part of your being. Paul says, I want to be successful in my character, in my life. Why? For the sake of Jesus Christ, because he chose me. And when he chose me, he gave a purpose. You see, you know what? You're going to make it. I've got a calling for you. See, some of us, we look at our lives and go, I know me. question is, are you willing to give yourself to God to the degree that all these other things don't really matter? But that all that matters is that relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Paul is probably, in my opinion, probably the greatest man that ever lived since Jesus Christ. The most influential man besides Jesus. There were over a billion Christians worldwide today because Paul chose to single-handedly take the gospel across the Roman Empire to start churches, to plant churches, to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ all around the Mediterranean. Paul lived his life to the absolute fullest. Here he says, I press on. I mean, he's an older guy at this moment, and he said, I'm still pressing on. There are those of us, we get to a certain point of life, and we think, man, I've done my job. I'm in coast mode now. Can I just tell you, we can never arrive at coasting with Jesus Christ. You're going to move either closer to him or further away from him. One or the other is going to happen. There's never just any of this coasting in life with Jesus Christ. Why? Because we have an enemy whose sole desire is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. When he sees that you put that thing in neutral and you lay back in that lazy boy and you begin to flow, guess what? He goes into overtime. Now is my moment. But Paul says, man, you've got to press in. You've got to push toward that mark. Paul made his life count. That's why we're looking at Paul's reference here and looking at this idea of success. Now today, I don't have time to wrap up this full message. In fact, I've already divided it into two sections, and I feel like I keep doing that in this book. But there is so much to chew on that I don't want to miss a single moment of it. So today, I'm going to give you the first two keys to unlock a successful life, spiritually or even in your day-to-day Walk. Number one is this the first key that you're going to need, that Paul shares with us, that you're going to need to unlock this door is evaluation. Look at your neighbor, say evaluation. He says in verse 12 again, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. How does Paul come to that conclusion? He's evaluated his life. He realizes that he's not reached perfection. He realizes that he still falters in life. He realizes that he still makes mistakes, that he's not quite there. So what's he going to do? He's going to press on. He's going to take possession of. He's going to realize that even though he hasn't achieved perfection, he's been chosen by God. But I press on to possess that possession for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Paul says, I don't claim to already have succeeded. I don't claim to have already reached Perfection. Paul, in this moment, he's honest about his faults. I don't know about you, but to me, that's an absolutely amazing statement. Again, Paul is an older guy at this moment. If anyone had the rights, 
to claim that they had arrived, it was Paul. He had made an incredible impact on the world, and yet at the end of his life, he says, I don't quite have it all together. I haven't yet arrived. I'm not perfect by any means. I'm still growing. The point that Paul is trying to make here is this. Successful people never stop growing. Spiritually, successful people never stop growing. Relationally, successful people never stop growing. Business, successful people never stop growing. Why? Because they realize there's still more to grab a hold of. There's still more to take possession of. Spiritually, relationally, mentally. They're always developing, always growing, always expanding, always learning. I ask you, spiritually speaking, are you taking the time to continue to grow in your walk with Christ? This is where we admit we don't quite have it all together, that we still have a long way to grow, that we haven't arrived, that we're not perfect. Evaluation is so vitally important because you've got to know where you are before you know where you want to go. When I put an address in my GPS or when Siri, uh, when I ask her to take me someplace, if my navigation is not turned on, if she can't identify where I am, she's not going to tell me how to get where I want to go. Are you with me this morning? You see, some of us, we come in here on a Sunday morning, we come in here for church, and we kind of go through the routine, and this is all the investment we make. We never really take the time to say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, know my thoughts, know my actions. Lord, where am I? Define this relationship. Do you remember when you were dating? Some of you have been married a long time. My wife and I have been married 22 years. I can't believe she put up with me that long. But, man, we got so much invested now, we're not starting over. (laughs) That was a good thing, Andy. Don't groan. Where was I? I don't know. I'm going to move on. You've got to know, oh, evaluate. You've got to define the relationship. Man, when you're dating, there's that moment on the onset of things when, man, you're, you're beginning to fall in love and you're wanting to say, I love you, but you're afraid if you say, I love you, they're going to go, thanks. <laughs> because you haven't yet defined the relationship. You don't really know where you stand with one another. You don't really know what that relationship really means. Are they on the same page as you're on? You're not really sure. You haven't defined that moment. And I wonder, have you taken the time with God to define the relationship? I know that he loves us. For God so loved the world, you, that he sent Jesus. He loves us to the ultimate extent. Unconditional love. But what's our side? If he was to say, I love you. 
If you were to audibly hear the voice call out to you and say, I love you, how would you respond? Thanks. I love you. Where, where do you stand? Have you evaluated that relationship with Jesus Christ? You've got to know where you are before you can ever know where you're going. You've got to be honest about where you are. Some of you are living your life in a fairy tale. Kind of just going through the motions, thinking that somehow, some way, things are going to work out. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, one of my favorite scriptures, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. What is that? That's defining. That's defining the relationship. You're doing an examination. You're figuring out what's going on. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, look at this, surely you know that Jesus is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. One translation said, if you don't see Jesus there, it's because he's missing. But can I be honest with you? He's not missing because he's walked away. He's missing because we forfeited the moment. We're so busy gaining everything else. We're so busy trying to impress people. We're so busy just being busy that suddenly everything else in life is more important. Well, Pastor, we won't be at church for the next three months because I got to take my son to baseball games and tournaments every single week. I'm going to meddle for just a moment, if I may. Which is more important? The like 0.07% chance your son's going to be a major league baseball player or heaven and hell? I'm just going to be real. That's not in my notes. That's from God or something. I'm just going to be real with you today. We're so busy doing other stuff, yet we fail to define that relationship. We fail to really evaluate where we are. Number two. Our first is evaluation. Our second is elimination. Paul says, I focus on this one thing. Why? Why does he take the time to focus on one thing? Because when we're focusing on numerous things, there are many of us in the room, we cannot multitask. I'm going I'm to readily admit that. If I'm in the middle of a project and you start a conversation with me, something is going to fail. Either this that I'm working on is going to be upside down and turned around, or I'm not going to hear a single thing that you say. Because I can't multitask. And I think Paul understood that. I think Paul was kind of the same way. He said, I've got to take just a moment. I've got to focus in on this one thing, forgetting the past. Uh, man, I want to spend some time in this this morning because some of you have allowed your past to wreck your life. 
says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And then I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. Jesus says, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus didn't say, delay yourself. He said, deny yourself. So there's got to be this level of elimination. There's got to be this level of, i got to rid myself of that which slows me down. I've got to rid myself of that which so easily trips me up. I've got to eliminate that which takes me off course of where I'm striving, where I'm pressing in to go. Because God chose me. Paul says, if you're going to be a success, if you're going to achieve all that God wants you to be, you cannot waste time on yesterday. Why? Because too many of us in the room, maybe that's you, you've allowed your past to control your presence. Can I just tell you something? This is going to blow your mind. The past is in the past. The past is over. You need to, in the words of the great theologian Walt Disney, let it go. Some of you are like, that's not Walt Disney, that's Elsa. Whatever. Just let it go. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the grief. Let go of the grudges. Success involves eliminating, forgetting, learning to forget the past. Isaiah 43 Forget about what happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. Come on, look at that. Do you find yourself living in the past? You're not ever really arriving at the present, but you find yourself continuously being in yesterday, hanging out in yesterday, living in yesterday. Paul says, you've got to move forward. Isaiah now says, forget about that. Be present in this moment. Then God goes on to say, I'm about to do something brand new. Have you ever been so consumed with something that you've missed something else? You've been peering over here. Maybe it's just Facebook. You find yourself just stuck in that Facebook mode, and your spouse has been talking to you for like 15 minutes, and you're went, huh? And she's like, are you serious? And we're not in the presence? See, that's what we allow our past to do in our lives. So how do we go about forgetting the past? I mean, after all, isn't it true that our brain stores everything we've ever done, that we never really forget anything at all? So how do I go about forgetting yesterday, of letting go of the past? Here's what I've discovered. To forget actually means not letting the the past affect you anymore. Not letting the past control your present. Not letting the past have power over you. Not letting the past manipulate where you are today. It's time to begin to live in the present. Because successful people learn from the past without dwelling on the past. You see, I think we can learn a lot from yesterday or the day before. We can learn from those 
failures. We can learn from those struggles. We can learn from those relational issues. We can learn from all of those things of yesterday, but we can't live in that moment. We can't hang out in that moment. Isaiah says, you've got to move into the present. You've got to stand in this present moment. Paul says, you've got to focus in. You've got to press in. You've got to really search out. That's what God has called you to take possession of. We can't allow the past to consume us, but we got to stay present where God has us. There's a big difference. Successful people learn from the past, and once they've learned from it, they let it go. But our human nature tends to remind us of the things that we should forget, and we tend to forget the things that we should really remember. Let me say that again. Our human nature is to remember the things that we really should forget, and we tend to forget the things that we really should, re- we should remember. We, we strive and we, we connect with and we hold on to and we mull over all of those problems and all those hurts. And we remember the time in 1923 when that person said something mean to us when we were in the second grade, but we can't remember the joy and the moment just of what happened yesterday. We allow the past to control us. So two things very quickly, and i got to process through this. Two things that we need to forget. Number one, we need to forget our failures. we got to forget our failures. I know in a group like this of highly successful individuals, none of you have ever failed. So maybe it's somebody that's watching online that I need to talk to. None of you in the room have ever failed, right? No, every one of us fails. The Bible says we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all come to that place of, of failing at some moment, at some time of life. The problem is we won't forgive that individual. We won't forgive that past. We won't forgive ourselves. In essence, we're living our life in Romans chapter 7 when God wants us to move into Romans chapter 8. And man, I don't have the time to preach that. That's a message all on its own. So I challenge you, go today and open up your Bibles. Right now at home, open up your Bibles. Look at Romans chapter 7. We're looking at the struggles. And Paul says, I don't really know why I do what I'm doing. I hate when I do these things because I know that I should do better because I'm pressing on. Remember, I'm moving forward. Remember, but I can't quite get over this moment, but then we have a turn, a change of events. Paul moves into the presence, and he says this, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then he moves into Romans chapter 8, and he says, now there is no condemnation for those that belong to Jesus Christ God has freed you from the past. Paul says you need to forgive. You need to move forward. Those failures do not define you. Paul says I've learned what it means to forget the past. Again, Paul, if anybody could have sat back and said, man, I made some big mistakes. I got some big regrets. Before he became a Christian, he persecuted the church. There was a time that he stood and he held the coats of the men that stoned a man, throwing rocks at a man to kill him. Paul faced faults, but yet he had to learn to forgive. Because here's what I've discovered. Nothing you ever do will change 
past. Somebody needs to hear that. Nothing you ever do will change your past. The second thing you need to forget, this is going to confuse some of you, you need to forget your success. You need to forget your success. Some of you have leaned so much on the success of your life that you've stopped moving forward. You're resting in this moment of pride. You, you've rested in this moment of, I've arrived. Spiritually speaking, you think, man, I, I've been in church for 40 years. I've come almost every Sunday. I, I'm there early. I come in and I prepare this and I get that ready. I've arrived. And yet we fail to press in, to possess that which God has placed before us. The problem with success, it tends to move us into complacency. It moves us into a realm of pride. Luke chapter 9 says this, but Jesus told them, anyone who puts his hand on the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Did you know that you cannot successfully drive a car by continuously moving in reverse looking in the back mirror. You can't win a race by looking at the opponents behind you the entire time. You've got to let go of the failures. You've got to let go of the successes. Next week we're going to process through the, the second two keys but I felt that it was so important that we had to take the time this morning to really lay this foundation because if we move too quickly through these and we really don't take the time to evaluate and eliminate, all we're going to do is pile more stuff on top and we're going to miss the mark. But if we can take that time, if we can really press in, if we can really be honest Say, God, there's some junk. It's down here a few layers. But God, there's some stuff right in here that I've got to get rid of. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's disappointment in self or others. Maybe it's a struggle, a sin. You've got these things. You're just biting at you over and over. Or maybe you've just rested in the moment of arrived. Paul says, man, you can't do that. You gotta forget the past. Today's a new day. Now's a new time. Now's the moment to evaluate where you are and begin to eliminate that which slows you down. Would you pray with me today? God, we need your help. Lord, this is hard because this is personal. Speak to us right now, God. 
I'm believing today that there's going to be numerous responses. If you're in the house today, you're, you're, you're with us in this moment, maybe you're watching online. And as we've been talking through this, God has been rocking your world. You're feeling that tug. You realize that you've got to make a change. You've got to press in. You've got to really pursue that. You've got to take possession of that which God has placed in front of you. You're ready to evaluate. You're ready to eliminate. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do something very difficult. Don't normally do it this way. Normally I have you heads bowed and you raise your hand. But if that's you, see this pressing in idea, it requires effort on our part. Here's what I feel we need to do. I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Are you ready? One. Don't back out on this moment. Two. Three. Come on, if that's you, come on, stand up. Come on, yeah, I got people bopping up all over the place. Come on. Press in. Take possession. Don't let the enemy lie to you. Don't let the enemy say, you know what? You're doing okay. No one else needs to know. It's time to stop playing games. Come on, I'm gonna give you a couple more moments here. If that's you, come on, stand up. Second question. You're here today and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you stand? Would you join us? Come on, is that you? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is the first time we've done this since March. If you're standing right now, I'm going to ask you to come and make a line across the front of this room. And we're going to pray for you today. Come on, worship team, here we go. Come on. 